Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. I was having a little trouble even saying the intro because I'm still coming off of the All-Stars event. So for one moment, I was like, where am I? But we are back. Um, as we reported last week, the All-Stars event was amazing. Um, and we are just continuing our mission here at Jew in the City to show the stories that don't get told about the Orthodox community, um, to push back at all the negative headlines. Look, over time, I have come to realize that um, there are some root problems in the community that must be fixed and must be corrected if we ever want the negative headlines to, to stop. Um, and so we shouldn't downplay the need to um, to fix what's broken. Um, and that's really the, the definition of being a religious Jew, to be able to take an honest accounting of where we are and how we you know, can do tshuva. So all that needs to happen. But at the same time, again and again and again and again, we get bombarded with the negative. We get bombarded with the worst stories, with the most extreme stories. And there's hardly any room for anything positive. In fact, we had to build an organization simply to share the positive um, because, you know, th the media on its own automatically shares the negative, spreads the negative, And we have had to put out a concerted effort to tell the other side of the story, to tell the authentic side of the story, because the good and the kind um, and the space for self is actually what a Torah observant life should be and can be and is for many people. Um, and we love to connect with people that really um, are brand ambassadors and sort of carry this mission in their lives and their work. Um, and we want to let you guys know about them um, because at the end of the day, there's only so much that we can tell. It's much better um, to show examples in the real world. And uh, it's a perfect segue for our guest today named Judy Gruen. Um, she grew up and she wanted to be the next Irma Bombeck only Jewish. Fortunately, she kept her day job in healthcare and public relations as she wrote humor pieces at night. Um, and she kept on writing and her portfolio now includes three award-winning humor books. Um, she co-authored a business book on MBA admissions and her columns have appeared in places like the Wall Street Journal, Chicago Tribune, Boston Globe, Christian Science Monitor, Los Angeles Times, Saturday Evening Post, Orange County Register, Jewish Journal, Jewish Action, H.com, on and on. Um, and she recently wrote a book um, that we're here to talk to her about called The Skeptic and the Rabbi Falling in Love with Faith. And you have heard of the off-the-derech memoirs. Um, so this is the on-the-derech memoir. Um, and uh, years ago, I joked that I wanted to write such a memoir. The, you know, the first one sort of in the series that became popular was called Unorthodox. So I joked that I would write a book called Un Unorthodox. Judy, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Allison, and I'm so honored to be on your show and to have your endorsement on my book. It's uh, I'm very proud of that. So you should know that like a lot of people send me books. I go out and speak to hand me books, and honestly, like there's so much now that I sort of made it my business uh, as an organization, not just to push back in the negative stereotypes, but to grab the people through Project Malcolm that have gone through the negative experiences and even to start to consider what can we do to stop the problems that are causing the people to run away and causing the negative headlines. So I have a lot on my plate. So normally I, I just turn books away, you know, sight unseen because I just, I don't feel like I have the capacity to read them. And, um, and if I don't read them, then I feel like I can't put my name on them. Um, but someone <laughs> got it in front of me and I figured, you know what, I'll just, I'll read a little bit. And I read a couple of pages and I said like, okay, this isn't a chore. This is actually enjoyable. So, um, I, I zipped through the book. 
Um, and I've always wanted this book to be written. Um, and like I said, you know, I've, I actually started working on a memoir myself um, and kind of got derailed by many other projects. So I'm so happy that, you know, um, a very talented and funny writer um, got to share her journey because we've seen so many of the other sides of the story. So um, I'd love to introduce our listeners to a little bit about kind of your Jewish journey that, you know, is featured in this book and also touch on a little bit about like why and when you decided to put it down on paper um, and what the response has been. So we have about uh, 25 minutes to do that. So let's let's dig in. So um, I guess if you could start first with um, what your background was growing up and what your perception of the Orthodox community was or religious Jews were um, in your childhood. Sure. Thanks, Allison. Well, uh, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, and um, I had two very opposite sets of grandparents. My grandparents are featured prominently in my memoir because my mother's parents were European-born, uh, old-style. They grew up in Orthodox homes in Europe, and once they were here, my grandfather became ordained as a conservative rabbi, and so my mother grew up, you know, very much in the conservative movement. My father's father and his second wife, who I considered my grandmother, were uh, an atheist and agnostic um, but they were my fun grandparents, so I grew up very conflicted. I saw that each set of grandparents had something that the other lacked. Mm -hmm. So my, my Cohen grandparents, my uh, religious grandparents, they had the connection to Judaism. They had the connection to peoplehood and history. And I knew that there was something very deep and moving about it. But from their generation, again, you know, uh, I'm in my 50s, so my grandparents came over here in the 1920s. It was normal for them to have intuited, and, and it actually more than intuited, they experienced the harshness of anti-Semitism in Europe. So they were the generation that uh, my grandmother used to say, is Sfer Suzayna Yid, it's hard to be a Jew, a very famous and very deadly expression. Right. And she would say it a lot. I write about this also in my book. And I, as I wrote, I thought, well, listen, if it's so hard to be a Jew, why are any of us going to do it? Right. Meanwhile, my other grandparents were fun. My grandmother was uh, get this, she was not just a, a medical physician at a time when there were almost no women medical phys physicians, as opposed to PhD. She was also a homeopath and an acupuncturist. I mean, they were wild. They were radical. And I, I loved all my grandparents. And so part of the backdrop of my story is growing up and trying to figure out, is there some way that I could fuse the best of both worlds? I went to college uh, first at UCLA and then at Berkeley. I got involved in Jewish journalism. I was the editor of the Jewish paper up at Berkeley. And uh, I considered myself a feminist because, I mean, what self-respecting Jewish woman in, you know, 1982 wasn't a feminist. Right. A few years later, I met my husband, Jeff, who had first encountered Judaism in Jerusalem accidentally, so to speak, at the wall. He had no idea, you know, what, what any of that was. And he was one of those guys who got pulled into a Shabbos dinner 
and thought, oh my gosh, you know, there's a whole new world here. So we we dated for a few years. It was really like a debate society. And after arguing with each other for three years, he married me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I say that flippantly, but during that time, I had to do a lot of soul searching, a tremendous amount of soul searching. It was not easy because I also had a lot of preconceived notions of what orthodoxy meant. And yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a pretty picture in my head. Uh, the community that we joined, um, which was led by, uh, started together by Michael Medved, who I'm also proud to say wrote the foreword to my book, mm-hmm. and Rabbi Daniel Lappin, it was a very different kind of community than I ever knew existed. Mm-hmm. It was broadly intellectual. Uh, the people in the community were almost all Balei Chuvas. They were artists, musicians, psychologists, um, physicists. It was very broad. That's mm-hmm. not to say that I didn't encounter some narrowness. Of course mm-hmm. I did. But you know something in any group you're going to find... Uh, followers and narrowness. The the thing is to chart your own path and to continue to be your unique self, which is what I've tried to do. <laughs> all, all so, so if we try to wrap up sort of the, the common misconceptions that you had, which I think are probably what most people had, so that it's hard to observe, that observance, you know, kind of holds you back or makes life difficult or bitter um, you mentioned feminism, that there's not a space for women. Um, narrowness, closed-mindedness, you know, not a space for self-expression. Are those the big ones? or? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, a lot of it was that, uh, and I think that this is common to a lot of people who I, I prided myself on the liberal label and on the feminist label. I was very emotionally invested in those terms. And I did not see Torah as being consistent with them. Of course, I didn't know anything either. I didn't know all the the dignity that was taught and, and ideally uh, uh, practiced for women, for individuals. I didn't know it. I just had these misconceptions. So, yeah, that was really hard for me. But I've certainly not lost my my voice or my space for the past 30 years I've been writing steadily books articles uh, developed somewhat of a name for myself and uh, and I'm very very grateful for the struggle uh, because there's been a lot of growth through the struggle and we've raised four kids four wonderful amazing beautiful kids who have all chosen to stay on the path and uh, make it their own so in terms of, um, you know, I guess the response to all of those misconceptions you had were experiencing women that you saw were empowered and people that you saw were broad and seeing how people um, did it in, you know, practice. Um, were there any sort of key moments or poignant moments where it was like, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, sort of uh, bite the bullet and do this? Or was it more of a slower process? It, there were there were several moments. Um, again, I, I write about um, when I first began to stay overnight for for Shabbos at one of the families in the community when Jeff and I were getting very serious. And and this couple, David and Sharon, we are still extremely close. 
and I walked into their house, and David was listening to classical music. He's a classical music, uh, he's a real scholar in it, and he knows which which symphony was recorded by which group in which year and everything, and I was had been listening to Bruce Springsteen and the radio on the way over, and I thought, well, that's pretty broad. He knows a lot more than I do. And I saw their cute kids, and I saw the table was being set for Shabbos, and I saw a wholesome family and a sweetness and an innocence in the children that I could clearly see, even from my secular perspective, was quickly being lost in the in the society at large. And I thought, I want this too. This is beautiful. This is this is peaceful. This is, and I'm not saying, you know, la la la, there's never any problems. But there was that oasis in time, you know, uh, making space for the sacred. And in the decades that have uh, passed, and now everybody with their is glued to their mobile device, their smartphone. Wow, where would we be without Chavez? I mean, we, we would, can you imagine, right? If we didn't have to turn it off, I say have to turn it off, get to turn it off. My husband literally sighs with relief Friday afternoon when he turns that thing off. Right. All right, so it was, um, it was seeing like, you know, sort of specific moments of being more broad and then starting to see that it wasn't the stuff that held you back, but more um, the way that it added value to your life. Uh, so now let's talk about um, when you first thought about putting this onto paper um, and sort of sharing this journey with the world. I'm, I imagine you might have written an article here or there, but when did you decide to do it? When and why did you decide to do it as a complete memoir? Mm-hmm. I had started to infuse more of uh, more Jewish topics and values in my writing slowly, slowly over the course of time. Over the past dozen years, I, I've been a very regular contributor to H.com, and that's been a wonderful, wonderful uh, outlet for me, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity. And while earlier in my career, I thought, I don't need to write about Jewish things. Who needs another Jewish writer writing about Jewish things? Aren't there already, you know, a million of them? Isn't one out of every three Jews a writer already? I, I didn't feel that I had something in particular to offer. But in the past several years, I really changed my mind for a couple of reasons. One of them was that by this point, I had lived this life so long I had real perspective, you know, and perspective is really valuable. I kind of have, I've lived it and I've seen a lot. I've seen the good and unfortunately some of it not so good, but I've seen how it really worked out for me. It wasn't too early to take a summary. Um, And then as you were saying at the beginning of the show, Allison, there's so much work to be done to combat the bad press that orthodoxy gets. And as a writer, I cannot tell you what it did to me, as a Jew, I should say, and as a writer uh, in that order. I was so upset every time I would see another new title of another one of these anti-orthodox memoirs. I am not for a minute, and I want to be really clear about this, I'm not questioning anybody's story. It's not for me to question their story. I don't question their right to write their story. 
just as I had the right to write my story. But because the secular media loves when it bleeds, it leads kinds of stories, the only stories that were getting out to the secular audience and the non-Jewish world that came from an orthodox place were these very pained stories. And it was so upsetting for me. And I thought, you know, this cannot be. Yes, there are people who walk away, but there are people, tens of thousands of us over the past decades, right. tens of thousands of us have said hello, not goodbye, and are happy that we've done so. And I, I just had to get this out there and start. And Allison, I hope one day you will write your memoir. One, one is not enough to show uh, the good side. And again, my story is not sugar-coated. It's, it's not uh, a greeting card. It's real. I include my struggles. I include a couple of anecdotes about friends who also had become observant and in one or two cases left it. It's a very honest story. And I, I feel that that's one of its strengths. So that is, those are the two main reasons why I decided that this was the time. And how long, I mean, you're obviously a writer, um, or I guess I'm saying you, from your bio, it sounds like you have a day job and then do this in the evenings. How long of a process was it for those of us that are <laughs> thinking about picking up our memoir um, at some point from start to finish from, you know? It was, it was probably a good three years just writing mm -hmm. and, and another three years just dickering around and thinking about it and um, not being really serious about it. Uh, as a mother of four, I was used to, have always been used to cutting up my work day in little pieces, you know, between carpool and making dinner. Oh, I have two hours. I'll work for this client now. I'll write, I'll work on that article now. I started to do that with the memoir, and then I realized it's not going to work for the memoir. It's a completely different uh, project than I'd ever done. Much more intense, much more serious, even though I included a lot of humor. So it's fun to read also, but it's a serious work, and it required a lot of serious thought and effort. So I, I actually had to push away some other work and just focus on that. And because it was very important to me to be writing for a non-Orthodox audience, primarily, because I wanted to explain, not I'm not trying to convert anybody, I just want to explain and show the, the thought process and what it's like kind of integrating into this life. So I chose very specifically non-Jewish editors to guide me because I wanted the story to be relatable, if not relatable, understandable to an, a truly outside audience. And I'm very grateful that I've had some reviewers who are Christian and religious, religiously Christian who really like the book uh, because it, in a way the story works for them too because they're also living in a society that argues and pushes away and against and makes fun of religious tradition. So I, I like to think of the book as, as also being empowering for anybody who is considering, you know, where is their true north spiritually. And what can you tell us a little about um, the, the press that you've gotten from it so far? I'm saying, like, you know, where have you been picked up? I mean, I did a quick Google search right here. It's obviously, 
you know, what my sense so far is that when there's another, you know, off of the memoir or another story, the media actually runs to the people to get the story from them. And we have spent money, a Jew in the city, on publicists um, and made relationships with members of the press over the years. And still, even with money and, you know, putting effort out like that, it is so hard to get them to report on something positive. And I sort of feel like by now, aren't we the surprising part of the story? Isn't a normal Orthodox Jew who, you know, doesn't think that everyone's going to hell and, you know, doesn't look down on everyone and, um, you know, isn't extreme? Isn't that the Chiddush? Um, and yet it's very hard to um, to convince people otherwise. So um, any, like, sort of specific, you know, um, places you've been picked up or, you know, any specific, you know, um, mentions or, um, you know, reviews that were given on the book in particular? Well, I got two good reviews from two of the book industry trade journals, um, Booklist and Library Journal. That's that's good. Um, but exactly as you said, Allison, uh, it's been very hard to get the uh, the secular Jewish media that most of them have received a review copies to do a review. Uh, actually, the San, Di- the San Diego Jewish something or other just ran a, a nice review, and I appreciate that very much. But uh, the, the secular outlets, no, they're, you know, I, I don't want to name names because I don't want to burn bridges, and it's possible that some of them are still considering it. But it, I, I'm finding that I have to kind of do workarounds. One uh, major Jewish outlet that specifically told me they'd review it has been sitting on it and sitting on it. That I found a, a pal who's who's doing some writing for them, and I asked her if she wanted to pitch a feature about me, and they went for that. So I'm doing my workarounds, yeah. and I be I believe in this book and the good the the uh, news I'm getting um, from both Jews and non-Jews is very very positive. So I feel like it's just going to probably take a little more time to get out there and spread. And being on your show is is a privilege, and uh, and working toward our common goal. Um, look, we're definitely happy to help you do it. Um, there, I have spoken to members of the press who have covered the Afaderich stories, and we have an, an initiative. I'm not sure if you've heard about Project Makom for people who. Uh, felt like they needed some more space from the sort of ultra Hasidic or ultra um, yeshivish place they grew up in, but still want to remain remain observant. And our people at Project Makom um, have gone through the same trauma that the people um, who have left completely have gone through, and you know have many of the same challenges. And I have been told explicitly by members of mainstream outlets that they would never share our stories because they disagree with the choice of remaining religious, which I just sort of feel like where, <laughs> you know, it, aren't journalists supposed to have a certain amount of unbiasedness to their reporting? And um, That's long so- gone. That's long gone. But think of the arrogance, and I, I'd like the audience to just take a, se- a couple seconds and just t- take that in, the arrogance of the media to control to control the narrative in that way they're they're basically saying even if it's newsworthy and this is newsworthy because it's new and different and novel right uh they're they're not going to let it give it any air so the 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 arrogance is is tremendous and i i have a graduate degree in journalism and i saw it over 30 years ago uh in 
it was very shocking and, and upsetting to see how how much attitude the students came in with. You know, they were going to decide, you know, what was newsworthy and what was not. And there's almost no difference now in most cases between journalism and agenda journalism, which right. is really to everybody's detriment. So I'll tell you, you know, although we have, you know, a big battle ahead, um, the good news is that um, at, we do a yearly Orthodox Jewish All-Stars event where we honor people that are at the tops of their uh, professional fields to show that um, there's very little that you can't do as an observant Jew and that, you know, what these uh, traditions and, you know, um, books add to our lives um, far outweighs whatever we have to give up um, in order to observe. Um, we had a reporter, a secular Jewish reporter from uh, Jewish media come to the event and she told me after the event was over that um, she realizes now how biased her reporting has been. And she went to journalism school to tell the truth. And she had no idea how um, one-sided her perspective had been until she saw our people and realized that there's such a bigger world out there in the Orthodox community than she had been aware of. So um, it's I don't think that our work will be done um, anytime soon, but um, to see sort of the small successes... Um, and certainly now to have this book, um, The Skeptic and the Rabbi, as, you know, something to hand people for a more in-depth reading of what a journey like this could look like. Um, and again, not to uh, tell anyone how they ought to end up, but to sort of, I think, really to humanize the journey. Um, I think that was a, something that really compelled me to start Jew in the City. I wanted my friends and family that thought that I had lost my mind and thought that I had become this subjugated, you know, um, extremist to understand that um, I didn't change who I was, I improved who I was, and it was still the same Allison that they knew and loved. I was just trying to live a more meaningful life um, and that, again, I didn't give give up, you know, very much by adopting an observing Jewish life. I, I really gained. And I wanted to be understood by my, my friends and family um, through that journey, and I think that, you know, your book is a great way to, to do something in depth like that. Um, we have about a minute and a half left. Um, if you could maybe close out with any stories um, from anyone that's read your book, anyone that has been inspired by your book, or anyone, you know, who's on some sort of a Jewish journey, or at least a seeker, um, that has shared with you that your book has impacted them to, you know, continue their growth or their exploring. Hmm. Uh, well, interestingly, this is not from a Jew, but the, the other night I got a, a message through Facebook from somebody who had an Indian name, a very Indian name, and said that, uh, I think it was a he, he had just read the book and that he was a first generation American finding his own path to God. And I don't think it was the God of Israel, but he said how much he felt empowered by, by the book. Uh, on, on his road to faith and those kind of stories mean a lot to me uh, um, in terms of Jews <laughs> to tell you the truth because of the media bias so far um, most of the the people who who are, are reading it that I know of um, are already very much pro tradition so they're loving it but I'm very excited to um, to be able to say that at the Asia Torah Partners Conference, which is starting in a couple of days, all the participants will be receiving a copy of the book. And I, I'm hoping that uh, from there, um, all of these people who are so committed um, to Jewish outreach and education 
um, will be able to hand it off or recommend it to other people and that people won't be afraid to mm-hmm. vote for tradition. Yeah. Although so, I, have to say, right. I have to say, you know, starting a website um, for the goal of reaching, you know, more secular Jews like how I grew up, um, it never ceases to amaze me how how much um, non-Jews value our traditions um, and, you know, sometimes are so running, so eager to convert, to incorporate Jewish ideas, um, where I think still as Jews, there's this, there's this bias, there's this baggage, there's this, I think, and I grew up with, they're judging me, so I'll judge them back first, you know, they have awful opinions in terms of women and other progressive issues that I feel about, um, so it's really, um, it's a challenge. Yeah, we see how well um, progressive things have been for women in the secular world, right? Yeah, we see <laughs> how well it's working out for so many. Yeah, Hollywood is uh, is bleeding right now. Um, we are out of time, but we wish you um, a lot of Hatzlacha in sharing this story. And people should get to hear the whole story and get to, you know, see both sides of the perspective. And um, thank you for being a partner in educating the world about uh, the journey of a Balchuva. And uh, thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.